Anybody watching the Olympics? You guys Olympic fans? Oh my goodness. So my family, uh, we look forward to the Olympics. We get super excited about the Olympics. And with the age of our kids, that means they get excited about the Olympics too. So from opening day, we've been getting all the kids together and we just have it on in the house constantly. We'll get all together in the evening, watch the different events at night. But even throughout the day, whatever Olympic event is on, we are going to be watching. It doesn't matter what it is. Like we're not those that only watch a few different events. If it's on TV, we are going to watch it. So that means we have watched archery. We have watched horse dancing. Like that's a thing. I, I was asking Becky, I was like, what is this? And she explained, I'm like, that's fascinating. The kids were not as fascinated as I was with it. So we watched a little bit of horse dancing. We even watched, this one was new to me. I, I don't know how long this has been an Olympic event, but they called it, I believe it was like air pistols or something like that. You know what I'm talking about? I watched them do that. I said, no, 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 no. That's called airsoft. I've been playing that since middle school. When did that get to be an Olympic game? So we watch all the random ones, but then we totally look forward to the exciting ones too, swimming especially. So the swimming events, one of the swimming events was last night. And so we're getting all excited. The kids are trying to understand what's happening. Like, no, we're cheering for that person in that lane right there. And so we get all excited about it and just love watching the Olympics. Now, of all the Olympics that we have watched, there's something that I would never, ever, ever expect to happen. None of us would expect this to happen. It just would be completely unheard of. It has never happened to my knowledge, and we would never expect it to happen. What you would never expect is after, say, the swimming match, after the, after the race, you would not see one of the swimmers get out of the pool that did not win gold, walk themselves over to where the Olympic officials are at their table and proceed to look at the officials and say, excuse me, can I try one more time? <laughs> I didn't feel like I gave it my best. Can I give it another shot? I think they would get deer in the headlights look. Well, you know, I didn't win that one, but I might win this next one. Can I get a second chance? Can I get another chance? Can I have a redo? It doesn't happen. It would never happen. And in fact, our world does not work around second chances. That's just not the way our world works. We don't receive a lot of second chances. However, in the kingdom of God, it's not just expected, it's normal to get second chances again and again and again and again. God loves giving us another chance, and another chance, and another chance. And that's the story of Jonah. If you've been with us the last several weeks, we've been studying through the story of Jonah. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in Jonah chapter three today. If you haven't been with us, let me tell you a couple things about Jonah, but first, you need a Bible, like an actual Bible. So two choices for you. One, get your iPad or your phone out, download the YouVersion app. Just go to the App Store, look for YouVersion. The translation I read from is the New Living Translation, NLT, if you wanna follow along. If you don't have a Bible or need one, out in the lobby, it's an area called Guest Services. It's where you get your coffee. There is a bunch of free Bibles. Please grab, grab as many as you need for you and your family. Make sure you've got a Bible, because as we read through, it's gonna be important for you to actually be able to look at it. But here's the story of Jonah in a nutshell to catch you up. We're told at the very beginning of the story that God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. So God calls but then Jonah, instead of following God to Nineveh, Jonah went the exact opposite direction. He went to a place called Tarshish, which is truly the opposite direction. So God calls, 
Jonah runs. But then what does God do? If you were here, what does God do? He, he follows. He chases after us. In this case of Jonah, he chases after Jonah with a storm. So God calls. Jonah runs. God chases. And as we're going to see today, Jonah gets a second chance. Now, as we go through this part of the story, we've been doing it all, all the weeks we've been studying Jonah. It's not just Jonah's story. That's my story, too. And that's your story. We are all like Jonah. Every single one of us could say, I'm Jonah. Where God calls, I run, God chases after me, and I get a second chance as well. Let's look at the story together. Jonah chapter three, here's how it begins. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a, say it with me. He spoke to Jonah a second time, second chance. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Here's what God said. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. Now, this is what's fascinating. You'll see this if you actually got your text with you because you can flip back and forth. If you were to go to Jonah chapter one, verse two, and compare it to Jonah chapter three, verse two. You know what you're gonna see? The exact same words. Jonah chapter one, verse two, God says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Then we have the story of him running away. Jonah chapter three, verse two, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. I love it. It's literally the same words. We would almost expect God to say, Jonah, this isn't working out, man. Like, I called you to do that. You decided to go that direction. We had to get the big fish involved. Like, it's just not happening. Let me ask somebody else. Let me get someone else to help with this. But Jonah, you tried. It didn't work. I'll move on. That's almost what we would expect from God. But instead, not only does God rescue Jonah, like we talked about last week, but God gives him another chance and gives him the exact same language, exact same wording. Jonah, get up again, and go to the city of Nineveh. Go and do what I've called you to do. He gets a second chance. So verse three, what does Jonah do with his chance, his second chance? Verse three, this time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. Now, I want to pause here just for a moment. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but it's worth asking this question. Beginning of verse three says, this time. And I would want us to ask, like, what made this time different? It's the exact same call on Jonah's life. Jonah, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. God said that, and the first time, Jonah ran away. God says it a second time, but this time, Jonah, we're told, obey. So what made this time different? Personally, I think being in the belly of a fish for three days was what caused this to be a little bit different. Right? I think what happened to Jonah is what we should recognize, this isn't something that you don't know. Like we see this. If we were to ask ourselves, what causes us to obey someone? What our reasons usually end up being are in two categories, right? I'm going to be a little general here, but typically in two categories, authority and love, authority and love. We obey, we say yes to someone else because of authority that, the authority they have over us or the love that we have for them. And Jonah experienced both of those. God said to Jonah for a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh. And Jonah's like, if I say no, I got swallowed by a fish the first time. I don't even want to know what happens the second time. <laughs> Jonah realized that there is an authority over him and that authority is God. But then he also recognized the love of God, the love of God chasing after him. And as we read through Jonah's prayer and even song in Jonah chapter two, we almost see Jonah reaching back out to God in love. 
So is it possible that Jonah says yes to God this time because he remembered and recognized the authority of God, but that he also remembered and experienced the love of God and maybe was able to step further into his love of God? We do all kinds of things in the name of love. And I think of my three kids, right? I'll go to, to Walmart with a, with a short list of things I have to get. And I end up walking out with all kinds of stuff because these three cute little kids says, but daddy, can I have this and that? And I'm like, no, it's not in the list. But they're like, but don't you love us? And I'm like, well, of course I love you. Have whatever you want, <laughs> right? I, we do things. We say yes to things based on the authority that's over us and the love that we have for the one that's asking. That's what made this time different, I think, for Jonah. So here's what he does, verse 4. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Super uplifting as he travels through the city for three days. Verse 5, the people of Nineveh, look at this. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. Remember sorrow or underline it, highlight We're going to talk about it just for a second. When the king of Nineveh heard, about, heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes, dressed himself in burlap, and sat on a heap of ashes. I love that visual. Because it's a visual of, I told you to underline that word, sorrow. Now, I want to connect some dots for you here. You don't have to go to it, but you can look at this a little bit later. If you read in Matthew chapter five, we get what we now call the Beatitudes, where Jesus says, blessed are those that, and he fills in a bunch of these. The first one is blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Poor in spirit means I recognize that I'm a sinner and I have a need for Jesus in my life. I have a need for a savior. So here for the first time, the king of Nineveh and the rest of the city recognized that what they were doing was wrong and they needed a savior. Poor in spirit. Then Jesus says that the very next line is, blessed are those that mourn. Why do we mourn? Because we are poor in spirit. We mourn, we're sorrowful over the sin that has taken root in our lives. That's what we're seeing happen here. If you keep reading, then Jesus says, blessed are the meek or the humble, which becomes the action of what happens. So what Jesus talked about, and again, what we call the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five, we're seeing played out for the people of Nineveh and it started with, it included the king of humbling himself, being sorrowful, mourning over the sin that had been in their life. And if you remember, week one, if you were here, we talked about how horrible the people of Nineveh were. I mean, they were called the lords of torture. It was a horrible city that did horrible things to other people and to one another. And here now they recognize it and they see the evil and the sin in their life. So they are mourning over it. But they continue. Look at what they do next. Verse 7, then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. Here's what it said. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Now, this is different than the sorrowful. This is now what we would call in a Christian context and Christian language, repentance. Repentance is going one direction, stopping, turning completely around, and then going in that opposite direction. What's fascinating about the story of Jonah is there's a lot of opposite directions happening. Did you catch that? 
God says, go this way. Jonah went that way. So then God went that way. And then he finally got Jonah to go to Nineveh, and then Nineveh was going this way. And then he said, no, go that way. It's a lot of back and forth. But that's repentance, is to be going in one direction away from God, to stop, turn facing God, and then to run after God. Now, notice also in the, the action of repentance, there's a lot of stops and starts. And that's true for us, and we see it for the people of Nineveh. What did the king and his nobles decree? They said, here's what you must stop doing. Stop all your evil ways. Stop sinning. There's a lot of stops. But then there's also the starts. Here, what are you going to do instead? Pray earnestly to God. Everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. So as we think of our own lives, again, we're all like Jonah. A repentant heart says, well, what do I need to stop? Obviously turn towards God. And what do I need to start? That's what God is helping the people of Nineveh understand. A repentant heart, the things we stop, the things we start to turn back towards God. Here's how it concludes. Verse 10. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, repentance, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. The city of Nineveh was saved. God used Jonah to bring a message of hope and repentance to a city that ended up saving them. Why? That's what I said earlier. Because God loves to give second chances. He loves to give second chances. It's who he is. It's in his character. It's in his nature to give another chance and another chance and another chance and another chance. He loves to give second chances. We see this all throughout scripture. Psalm chapter 86, verse five. Oh Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Later on in verse 15, but you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy. Listen to this, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Our God loves to give second chances. If you study Old Testament all the way through New Testament, we see it again and again and again. See it with Moses, who was a murderer, but got a second chance and then led the people of Israel out of slavery. We see it with Noah, who was a drunk, but got a second chance. And actually through Noah, all of humanity got a second chance. We see it through Rahab, a prostitute who got a second chance and helped rescue the Israelites as they took the promised land. New Testament, we see it in Zacchaeus. We see that he was a cheat, he was a liar, he was a thief, he was greedy, but he got a second chance and became very generous. We see it in Peter, a disciple of Jesus, who denied Jesus, denied ever knowing him, but got a second chance and helped lead his church, build the church. We see it in Paul, a persecutor of Christians, tried to destroy the church, and he got a second chance and helped plant churches. We see it in the story of Jonah. Where God calls, Jonah runs. God chases, and Jonah gets a second chance. We see it in the people of Nineveh that lived horrific lives, full of sin and evil. Yet they turned from their ways, and God gave them a second chance. And we see it in our lives as well. I am Jonah. You are Jonah, and God loves to give us a second chance. The AJC did an article about three years ago on a man named Graham Skinner. And uh, let me show you just a screenshot of the article. Um, we'll post to it later on in the service if you want to read the whole article. But as you can see, the headline of the article says, former, former high school quarterback overdosed 
and live to tell his story. I've gotten the opportunity to get to know Graham over the last, man, several months now. And uh, through his story, we see second chances. We see how we are are all like Jonah. But there's a conversation that Graham and I had a while ago that I wanted him to also share with you. So would you please welcome Graham to the stage with me today? Thanks, man. So Graham, we're going to talk about his story here in just a second. But I want to just set you up for what we're going to do. Uh, Graham and his family, they've been a part of our church for a while. We've been able to have some really fun conversations just hearing not only his story, but what God's been doing through you, with you, and in your story as well. So um, man, as we've had lunch together and sat and talked, I just wanted to highlight some of his story and his conversation because we're all like Jonah. We all have that story. And so that's what we're going to be doing for a little bit. Sound good? All right, so tell us a little bit as we put up there, like yeah. AJC did a big article on you. I mean, a long article. It took me a while to read the yeah, whole thing. It, but was, it was lengthy. It was very lengthy. Funny, funny story about that. So I've, I've done this a lot in my, in my past where I used to work before. So it's kind of just became the norm to share this stuff about my background and all that kind of stuff. And this guy said, hey, I want to write this article on you. And I said, yeah, that's fine. So about the third time he came out, to ask me my story, he said, hey, now I need to get pictures of you and your family. And I was like, hold on. I need to make sure my wife is okay with this because this <laughs> is, no everybody's going to see this. Yeah, <laughs> which she was, and she's amazing. So That's awesome. Well, tell us real quick before we get into your story, tell us a little bit like what you do professionally, your career, introduce your family to us. Tell us a little bit about you, and then we'll jump into your story. So I got a lot of family here. So my wife Erin's down here, and then my dad, my sister, nieces, and nephews. Awesome. So, yeah. so cool. <clears throat> So I am a certified addiction counselor, so I've been working in the treatment industry for over a decade now. Um, and then I also have a company that does substance abuse interventions with families, so I help the family get help for their loved one or do family consulting or recovery coaching and yep. stuff like that. And when you say like intervention, especially with family, like that's you going into the home, helping not just the one that's, that's struggling or the addict, but you're also helping and walking the family through that as well. Sure. I tell families that it's the intervention process is, is more for the family mm -hmm. sometimes than it is for the actual individual itself. So yes, yep. we're going in the home. That's great. That's great. Well, tell us a little bit of your story. We'll keep that part a little bit brief. Like I said, we'll link to the article if you want to read it on your own. Give us kind of your story because I really want us to focus on even that, that after the story and helping us relate to not just your story, but to Jonah's story as well. Yeah. So, so kind of like you put in the, in the Bible study questions from chapter two, um, I grew up in church, yeah. but because yeah. um, <laughs> a lot of us have that, but my yeah. but was I grew up and we went to church, but I had no idea what it mm actually meant to have a relationship with God. Yeah. To be honest with you, and I don't know if my dad even knows this, when I got old enough, I'd say, hey, can I sit by myself in this little corner at church? And finally, I said, yes, you can. So we'd sneak out and play basketball as soon as the, oh, that's the right. I started, So did right? you know that? Yeah. I, Dad's like, I know everything. There's nothing that's going to shock me. It was, over, it was over the loudspeaker, so we knew when they were wrapping up, like, all right, we're going to get back, back in. in. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that just kind of drives home the point that I had no real relationship with God, yeah. right? Um, but we did grow up in church and I had a very loving family. Um, sports were a big part of my identity. I was blessed to just have really good athletic ability and that became my identity for a long time. Um, along with wearing a lot of different masks throughout my whole life too, right? So I, I put off a lot of confidence all the time and a lot of different things, but that didn't match what I was feeling on the inside. Um, and I found out in high school when I started drinking and smoking, like, oh, a lot of these normal insecurities that I think everybody has, this makes those go away, mm. right? This feels a lot better. 
and I found out quickly that worked, right? And then also really suddenly um, in high school, my mom passed away. It was just there one day and gone the next. And I turned to what I knew made that stuff go away, which was drugs and alcohol, right? Um, fast forward the next couple, three years, things got really, really bad. Uh, went from using pain meds to heroin and to different things like that, and it got, it got really bad. Um, arrested a whole lot of times, uh, drove my family crazy, worried unto death, um, and eventually got to a point to where in a hotel room I overdosed and I almost died. Um, and for me, that was the first time where I felt like I heard God say, hey, are you done? Are you yeah. ready to do something? Because from the moment my mom passed away, what I did was, I'm done with God. This is his fault. He did this, you know? Um, so I ran and ran and ran, and the more I ran, the more shame and guilt I had. Because, you know, I told you I grew up in a good family. I knew what I was doing was wrong, sure. yep. right? But in order to drown those emotions out and whatever was going on, I ran harder, I used more, and did what I could. Because to be honest, in addiction, drugs and alcohol are not the problem, right? They're, they're a symptom of something much deeper. So the issue was not the drugs and alcohol, it was all the emotions and things that I was running from, yep. right? And specifically running from God. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like in that moment in that hotel room is when I surrendered to knowing that I need him, I can't do this alone. Yep. Um, you know, because sitting there thinking, like, how did I go from being here, at least to what I thought was here, yeah. you know, college athlete, loving family, to now I'm down here, yeah. to where basically my dad had gotten really healthy and gotten the whole family together and said, don't give him anything else. Yeah. We're done. Unless he calls and says, hey, I'll get some help, yeah. we are done. Yeah. Um, and at the moment, I thought it was the worst thing ever, but it was the most loving thing they could have done for me at the time, right? Um, so ever since that moment, Things haven't been easy, but they got really, really beautiful. Obviously, I met my wife, we got married, we got two amazing kids, yep. um, and I get to work and do what I do now and help those in need and their families, and yeah, it's been it's incredible. You see that redemption story of, and we'll talk through some of this, of the, the darkest parts of your life are now what God's using to help other people in their life and in their dark places as well. You were talking a little bit, and you used a lot of that language of, of running from God. Obviously, that's Jonah's story. That's our story as well. And I love to have you in identify, man, it's, it's the what we're running from and what we use to run from God. And in that case of your story, it's the drugs, the alcohol, the things, right? But specifically, when you, when you decide, like, no, I'm done, I want to start facing God instead of running from God, that guilt, that shame, that regret, like, talk about that a little bit, because I feel like that's where oftentimes we... We don't know what to do with those. Of, and you even said, like, I know this was wrong, so it almost just piles up. Because I know it's wrong and I'm still doing what's wrong, the guilt, the shame, the regret pile on, which makes you run harder. Yeah. So how do you frame that up, the guilt, the shame, the regret, so that it doesn't cause you to run, but how, how do you allow God to redeem even those? Well, you have, to, you have to stop running and you have to face it, right? Because like we talked about before is the amazing things and where you're going to meet God is in those difficult moments, yeah. right? Sure, he's there at the end when you get redeemed and things are really good, but the, the really beautiful stuff is, is in the, the shame and in yeah. the guilt and in those difficult times, right? And I wrote down this quote from Brene Brown because I thought this was amazing, and it says, when we deny our stories and reality and we disengage from tough emotions, they do not go away. They do not go away. Instead, they own us and they define us, right? So the more you run from shame, that shame's gonna define you, right? The more you run from fear or addiction or whatever it is, those things are going to define us. And 
the same way the good stuff is going to define us. But in order to get to that other side of that good stuff, we have mm -hmm. to stop, like you said, yep. turn around and face that stuff and deal with it. Yep. Right? You even said something uh, along the lines in our conversations of like thankful for your past. I think that's something that's kind of hard to, like, how, how can we hear this story and say, he, did he just say he's thankful for his past? Your poor dad over there is like, did he say thankful? <laughs> so help us understand your frame of mind and what you mean by, no, I'm, I'm thankful for my past. Because, again, we all have a past. We've all, we've all run from God. So how do we look at that, not from a shame perspective, but from gratitude? Well, I didn't always see it that way. Um, obviously, when I was first working through things, it, it, it took a while. Mm -hmm. But now on the other side of it, I can look back and, like you talked about in the beginning, the things I'm getting able to do now and the working with families and helping others, you know, I couldn't do that without yeah. going through what I did. I wouldn't have my family, my wife, my kids, because I met her essentially connected to the things I had done in my past, yeah. right? And you talk about being thankful and one of the things we talked about last service was the gift of desperation. Mm -hmm. I'm thankful for being at a point that I was so desperate yeah. that I understood my need for Jesus, yeah. right? I understood that I need him, I can't do it without him, because I'm, yep. I'm a bit of a stubborn individual, <laughs> and I try to control things and do sure. it on my own. I have and no for, idea what you're talking about, no. I've never dealt with that at all. It's just me. <laughs> so to be at a point to be so desperate that I've lost everything, yeah. everything has failed around me, I'm literally about to die, I needed to feel that desperation to understand like, okay, yep. I'm not gonna run anymore. That's how we got your attention. That's, mm -hmm. We see in Jonah when God chased after Jonah, it was through a storm even. And you said it, you've said it multiple times, good, but not necessarily easy. And that yeah. difficult road, that's where God is oftentimes pulling us back to him. Yeah, for sure. Now, there's a question I asked you, and we were talking through some of this, and I loved your answer to it. One of the first questions I imagine that you get, you walk into a home, you're trying to help, even man, in our own stories of how did I get here? Right? I mean, I'm thinking of Jonah in the belly of the, how did I get here? So you, you gave that a totally different perspective from that question. Because I think we all ask that question through our stories. We see our past. How in the world do I get here? So how do you respond to that when you're asked that, when you even started seeing that in your own life? So I actually get that question a lot, especially with intervention. So I'll be working with a family. Their loved one is not there. So we're prepping for everything. I'm teaching about addiction. And they'll, typically it's a mom and a dad is, how did we get here? How did they get here? And I, I say it a little more eloquently, but I basically say like, who cares? Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter, right? You know, it's like when you're having a heart attack, the paramedics don't come up to you and say, well, what's your diet been like for the past couple of years? Or what, what's that been like? Like, no, we, have a, we need to save this person's life. Yep. There's a crisis. At some point down the road, we need to look at how did we get here? What were the steps that got here? Yep. But in my experience, typically in the middle of a crisis, it doesn't matter. Yep. Let's get out of it, right? Yep. And typically, at least for me, it kept me sick for a long time because I would try to figure out how did I get here? How did I get here? Which compounded more shame, more uh, failure and all that different types of stuff. And to be honest with you, I wasn't emotionally ready to look at that stuff anyways. Yep. And I feel like God will, God will prepare us when it's time to actually look at that stuff. But in the middle of a crisis, who cares? Like, just get out of it. Man, like, I don't want, like you, we said this last time, yep. Jonah wasn't in the middle of the way. I'm like, man, how'd I get here? That's right. It's <laughs> like, no, I want to get out of here. Yep. Like, this is not a good situation, yep. you know? So I don't want us to gloss over that. You said that oftentimes that's where we can get stuck. And even in your story of like, well, I try to figure out how I got here and it just piled on the shame and it piled on the guilt and it piled on all the regret. You just got to stop asking that question. It's, it's the right question for another time. 
but it's not the right question at that time. Instead, how do I get out of this? And again, how do I stop running from God? How do I start running to him instead of from him? I think it's great. So one of the things we've been talking a ton through this series, again, I've said it a bunch today already, I am Jonah, we are all like Jonah, we all have the same story of Jonah, and I see so much of our stories and your stories in Jonah, which is why we wanted to do this today. So in our conversations, you said three things that have just stood out to me, and we see them right out of Jonah. So I'm going to read the passage, I want to tell you what I heard you say, but then I want you to explain it to everybody. Does that make sense? So first one in Jonah chapter one, verse 12, this is when uh, Jonah's on the ship, there's the big storm and the rest of the sailors are like, what are we supposed to do? What will stop this storm? And Jonah replies, Jonah chapter one, verse 12, throw me into the sea. Jonah said, if you were here for week one, we said that that's not a suicide attempt. That is Jonah saying, throw me into the presence of God, throw me into the arms of God. Cause he said that God is the God of the sea. So throw me into God's presence and surrender completely to him. And in our conversations, you've made a big distinction between submission and surrender. Help us understand what you mean by that. So submission, we submit to things because we have to, yep. right? We're kind of forced to in a way. And I think you talked in the last, or we talked about authority, authority right? Yep. Like you, we submit because this is what we're supposed to do. And, you know, Again, we, could, we submit because we have to versus surrendering is more of a, I need to do this. Yep. I want to do this. I understand my need to surrender my life to God or, or to stop, yeah. right? Now, you might need to start with submission. That's fine, mm -hmm. right? But if we're constantly just submitting and there's no actual surrender, you know, it, it, it gets difficult. The magic happens when surrender happens. For me, it was when I finally surrendered, like I talked about being mm -hmm. desperate and saying, I will do anything, yep. anything I have to do. I'm willing to do it. Yeah. And is that why in your story, rehab didn't stick this time, rehab didn't stick this time. It's like this circle of it not working. And then all of a sudden, oh, it did work. Here's you say like the magic happens when it's surrender versus submission in a lot of times. I think, I think so. Yeah. Anybody can submit. Yeah. I'm, I'm really good at, I can perform and I can submit and I can do yep. all this stuff, but surrender is also scary. Yeah. You know, you're, you're basically opening yourself up to be vulnerable and saying, all right, use me, God. Yep. Use me for whatever you need and however you need it and not my way but yours. And that's, I don't know about y'all, but that's, that's scary. scary. Yeah. Yep. And that's our choice too. We say, yeah. I'm choosing this. Mm -hmm. That's great. And I think that's where Jonah had to get to. It's like, okay, I've been running for so long. He's forcing my hand with this storm, but I'm choosing to, no, it's time to throw me in. Uh, that's great. That's great. Second one in Jonah chapter two, this is when Jonah's in, in the belly of the fish, says this, that Jonah cried out to the Lord in my great trouble and he answered me. And you said it a couple times already, but I loved that, that phrase that, that I heard for the first time from you, the gift of desperation. Tell us, you've talked about it a little bit. Tell us a little bit more. How is that a gift? Because I normally wouldn't put gift and desperation in the same sentence. Yeah. So walk me through that. So the gift of desperation comes, it's really like an AA term. It's in the big book. Um, and it's like we said before, when the gift of desperation is when a person gets to a point that they're willing to do anything yeah. because they have lost everything. Mm -hmm. Everything's failed around them. Everything is broken. Um, they're physically and emotionally broken. And you hit this bottom to realize like, oh, I can't, I can't do this on my mm -hmm. own. And that is to me, not everyone gets that. Not everyone has to have that. But again, I'm a little stubborn. Sure. For me, it was a, it's a gift, right? Because I've been down there to that bottom and mm -hmm. I've seen that and I've recognized I can't do this without him. Yeah. 
I just uh, make things worse if I keep running. <laughs> that's right. If left to my own, it's just not going to work. Yeah. That's exactly right. The last one comes out of Jonah chapter 3, which is obviously what we've been looking at today. Uh, Jonah 3, verse 1 and 2. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, talking about second chances. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. And you said this phrase also when we were, when we were sitting down earlier, that God is a gentleman. That God's a gentleman that... Uh, I just, I've never thought of him in that term. So what do you mean by that? How does this relate to your story and the story of Jonah? So when I say God's a gentleman, basically he's not going to make us do anything we don't want to do. He's not going to force us to do anything. Now, our world might be crumbling around us, but he's not going to force you to do something you don't want to. So for me, it it ties in with the surrender and the willingness because when I surrendered in that hotel room, it was always like, it, it was basically for him like, as soon as it happened, Okay, great. He put it in fifth gear and he's like, let's go. Yep. You know? So I, I chose to say, all right, let's do this. I'm, yep. I'll, I'll get on board with you. And that's when he grabbed me. And the moment you go. say yes, he's, again, we've been saying a lot that God chases after us, but it's not just chasing. It's like, he's along with us. You said earlier, like he's yeah. in that journey. He's with you the entire way. And the moment we say yes to him is, all right, I've been waiting for that. Let's yeah. go. That's when things start changing. Again, like we talked about, they don't doesn't mean they're going to get easy and everything's right. going to get better overnight. But um, yeah, he's, he's a gentleman. He's not going to force him. It's not going to force us to do something we don't, we don't want to do. Yep. That's great. Let me wrap up with two questions here. You got a room full of people, people watching online. And I think we can probably fit into two different categories, generally speaking. The first one, uh, if you would say, man, I'm, I'm running. I recognize with Jonah's story as far as I'm running from him. And we all run. You said this. We run from God for a variety of reasons and a ton of different ways. But what would you say for somebody that has been run, had been running from God and obviously through Jonah's story, what would you say to somebody that's, that's currently running from God? Stop. <laughs> Man, that was, hang on, one more time. If you're taking notes, this is worth writing down. Say it one more time for me, Graham. Stop. That's so good. <laughs> but, but, but seriously, stop, yeah. right? Um, I have yet to see anyone, I've never met anyone who has stopped and made the 180 mm-hmm listen to what God has told them to do, and the end result not turn out good. Oh, that's great. Now, don't, don't hear me and hear me say that you're going to stop, you're going to turn around, and everything's going to be roses and be great. That's not the case. Like it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be painful. You're going to need to bring people along for the ride. Yeah. But I've yet to see anyone who has truly listened to what God is calling them or asking them to do, and the end result not be good. Yeah. yeah. Simple as stopping and turning stop. and facing it. Just stop. That's great. All right, second group of people, kind of second category, is people that hear your story, right? And again, we see it in Jonah where God redeems that story. Man, my, my darkest time, God's now using for not just his glory, but for the good of others. And so I think there's some of us in the room that are like, man, we all have a past, we all have a story, but God, I want you to use that in some way. Like, how do you get to that point of, it kind of ties into the shame piece. I'm, I'm not ashamed of my past. Again, to use your words, I'm, I'm thankful. I've been given that gift of desperation. But how do you then allow God to, to use your past and use your story, which you once ran away from, is now being used to, to help people run towards God? How did you get to that point, and what would you encourage us with? Well, the same way you have to be willing to, to face that pain, you have to be willing to let him to use that, right? So whether it's through prayer or asking him to use you in those situations, because you know, God, although he will use the really positive things in our life, if we look back through history and we look at ourselves and people in the church, like he uses the really ugly, dark things yep. to help others, yep. right? And I use the example, I know, I know a guy, I've known him for years and my wife knows him and 
he had what I would say one of the most tragic things that could ever happen to anyone, because I, I have children. One of my biggest fears is losing a child. Yeah. Like, this is not, it would be my biggest fear. And he, his adult son committed suicide. Mm. Like the worst thing I could ever think of happening, yeah. right? And now I saw him the other day, he's 80, still at the gym, great guy. He is a certified SOS instructor. So SOS is survivors of suicide. So he goes in the home and he meets with people who have lost a loved one to suicide or a friend. He runs groups. So God has taken arguably the most painful thing that could ever happen and using it for his glory. And he's helping people all the time now, right? So if you're willing, he will use it, but you got to let him. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Hey, can you thank Graham so much for hanging out with us, giving the story? Thank you so much, Graham. Appreciate it. I think the, the most worthy thing out of all of that was the word stop. <laughs> stop. What do we do when we run from God? We stop. We're all going to. That's all of our stories in some way. God calls and we run. And God chases after us. And he gives us a second chance. The question is, what do we do with that next chance? What do we do when God hands it to us and says, I'm giving you new life? I'm giving you that next chance, that second chance. What do we do with it? Let me give you two thoughts on what to do with it, and it's exactly what Graham said. That first, maybe you do just stop running. Jonah could have easily have said, nope, I'm done. I'm heading back to Tarshish like I I first planned. Stop running from God. Run into his grace and receive that second chance. I would also tell you, just like Graham said, let God use you for his glory. God used Jonah, who was running from him, to lead an entire city back to God. There's nothing in your past that God can't redeem. There's nothing in your history that God can't use for his glory, the good of others, and to point other people towards him. Because that's what he does. In Colossians chapter 1, this describes all of us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. That because of our sin, we are separated from God. Yet, verse 22, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. That's why we celebrate what Jesus did on the cross. We were separated from God because of our sin, but because Jesus' death on the cross, we have been reconciled back to him. Here's why that's so impactful and so important. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless. And don't miss this last part. As you stand before him without a single fault. That's how God views you. When he gives you that next chance because of his grace, he views you without a single fault. Blameless before him, ready to be used by him. So what's your next step? Is it to stop running and to turn back to God? Is it to start letting him use you and your story to point others to him? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for what you have done, just like we read out of Colossians, that because of you and your sacrifice on the cross, and it's only through you, you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, and no one comes to the Father except through you. So it's only because of you 
that we are reconciled back into your presence, that we are seen as spotless and blameless before you. So God, I think we fall into two categories here today. Some of us need to stop running from you. We need to start running to you and your grace. Some of us need to start allowing you to use our stories, to use us as servants, to use us as storytellers, to use us as those that point other people to you. Whatever our next step is, Jesus, we all agree that we're running back to you and we will never turn back. In Jesus' name, amen.